from 19. Yes! Bibby. Big three-pointer for the rookie from Arizona. Big Country Reeves needs to rebound from what was a terrible season. Does everyone like basketball? With the second pick in the 1999 NBA draft, the Vancouver Grizzlies select Steve Francis from the University of Maryland. This is, with the second pick, Steve Francis, the audaciously niche Vancouver Grizzlies basketball podcast where we sit back, sip a full snifter of nostalgia, and watch old Vancouver Grizzlies games with an eye for quality, for folly, for laughs, for fun. I'm Jeremy Allingham, and I'm here with my co-host, the Hamburglar himself, Justin McElroy. How you doing, Justin? Did, did you just say quality in the same sentence as Vancouver Grizzlies? <laughs> there was also folly and laughs and fun. I'm trying to balance things out here. That, I just don't want people to get false expectations about what this basketball team was about. We have an eye for quality. That doesn't mean we're finding quality. <laughs> it's going good, I think. Uh, and, you know, you speak uh, about uh, quality for this game or lack thereof. You know, we just came off what was actually a high-quality game where the Grizz were able to beat the Houston Rockets. Best record in the NBA at that time with uh, really high quality by both teams at different types. But they can't all be winners when you're the worst team in NBA history, and in fact, most of them are not winners. And while there's some interesting things in this game that is worth going, I think we almost need a content warning in terms of like the quality of shooting and defense that we have on this game because, oof, it is not the best. Parental advisory explicit basketball, yes. Um, so we're going back to January 8th, 1997 at the San Jose Arena because the Coliseum Arena in Oakland was under renovation at that time. The Grizzlies are in the midst of a five-game losing streak. They've lost to the Kings, Suns, Spurs, Sonics, and Lakers. They're 6-27 and on the year. They've lost those five games by an average of more than 12 points a game. And yes, they're still horrendous on the road, having won only that lone game that we covered in San Antonio. As for the Golden State Warriors, no beacon of basketball greatness themselves. They're 12 and 19 on the season, but they've won four of their last six, showing some promise, including wins against the T-Wolves, Clippers, Mavericks, and 76ers. Not exactly a list of world beaters there, but as the announcers point out early, they are starting to beat those teams that are below 500 that they should beat. And I should add that the Grizzlies are an all-time 0-5 against the Warriors in franchise history at this point to the starting lineups, Justin McElroy. Yeah, for the Grizz, we have what is in this first half of the season with Greg Anthony both being injured at times and even when he's not injured, and we'll get into that sitting on the bench. So we got Bryant, Big Country Reeves in the middle, Sharif Abdurrahim, Anthony Peeler, Lee Mary Bayberry, and George Lynch. The announcers talk a lot about Reef. This is his first game back in California since mm -hmm. his college one year at Cal. They say that he has lots of uh, former teammates here and friends. This is set up by the announcers as a marquee game. Will it turn out that way from? We'll see. Tonight will be the Bay Area return of Sharif Abdul Rahim, the number three overall pick out of Cal Jim. In November, he was decent, had some moments where he played like a rookie, but in December, he began to show the signs that he may be the future of this franchise. Well, he had to wait till he was 20 years of age on December the 11th. This guy is going to be a terrific 
basketball player at this level because he's got size, he's got quickness, he's got instincts for the game. We ask him, was it a mistake to come out of Cal after only one year of basketball? I can't say. I, I, I don't believe that if I'd have stayed in school another year and then left, that that year I'd have been a better pro than I would now. You know, I felt like the only way I was going to become you know, better on this level is to be here and go through the things that young players go through. So, As far as um, Reef is concerned, too, we start to hear right away in this broadcast that old school basketball questioning like we heard in the draft. You know, he's the one of the youngest freshmen to ever come out. Was it the right decision? So that's a bit of foreshadowing for this game. And for the Warriors, you know, there's a reason that they're a mediocre team. There's a reason, though, that they are better than the Grizzlies at this point. And it's because they got a couple of actual genuine stars in Latrell Sprewell, Joe Smith. You also have Chris Mullen, who's a dream teamer in 92, on the downside of his career, but still good. And then Mark Price, also no slouch himself in his Cleveland days, and Felton Spencer, and we'll get to him. But this is a team that should be beating the Grizzlies most nights, and indeed early on after the tip-off, we get an immediate 6-0 lead for the Warriors from a Mullen tip-in as well. But then very early on, Mullen gets poked in the eye by Reef, and this shouldn't be a big moment in the game, but it turns out to be that way. And it's interesting because we'll hear a lot about Sharif Abdurrahim, you will, listener, but the interesting thing is when it's 6 nothing. He starts out with an actually amazing reverse dunk where he hangs in the air, suspended. You don't think he's going to finish with a dunk. You think he's going to finish with a layup. Up the floor, What a play. He can glide, can't he? And he still had enough to come up and over the rim on the other side. But he actually turns his body, contorts in midair, and throws down a two-handed reverse dunk. It's one of those really surprising throwdowns. But... Aside from that dunk, maybe one of his biggest plays of the game was inadvertently scratching Chris Mullen in the eye. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be that much at first. It seems like only a minor injury, but then they keep going back to him. It turns uh, into some bruising around Mullen's eye. He doesn't play the rest of the game, just gets two minutes and five in there. And that really could expose the Warriors bench going on. But for most of the first quarter, it really doesn't. Uh, The Grizzlies, aside from Reef, are not really into the game. And we're seeing the Warriors, they're not good, but Spree and Smith are doing what they need to. And the Grizzlies are just not showing up on offense. No, they're not at all. They don't look good aside from Sharif, who's putting on a show. And the thing that I've really started to appreciate about them, about him, and we talked about this in the last uh, episode as well, is he just gets to the line. He's always in and around the key. He's always in and around the bucket. He's drawing that contact. He's getting to the line. And in this season, I looked it up. He was getting to the line six and a half times per game. And that was actually quite low for where he would end up in his career. But I looked it up as well. He ends up his rookie year in the NBA, 15th in the league in free throws attempted per game. And that's right behind star players of the time like Vin Baker, Mitch Richmond, and Glenn Rice. So there Reef is, packing the Grizzlies on his shoulders, playing really well when no one else seems to want to. And he has 14 points in the first quarter. 
And he's playing well just 34 games into his first NBA season. It really is. We're starting to see this growth in this first quarter. The announcers are noticing it. Of course, no one in Vancouver is really doing anything other than him. So despite the fact that Reef has 14 points in this first quarter, the Warriors are up 30-21 to 21 after one. And that leads us to our first segment of the game. Watch Big Country. So this... This is becoming a little bit disturbing in season two, the big country. You know, we had the good game with the Spurs with country, but it's starting to look a bit shaky at this time of the year. Like the first two to three minutes of this game, it felt like we were back to square one with country. I swear to God. In the first two to three minutes, he has two turnovers, misses a jumper, fouls Latrell Sprewell for an and one. He does make one of his standard uh, turn to the right, middle of the key, leaning kind of hook shot, jumper, shot put shots. And he's playing so bad, and that might make sense when you hear announcer Greg Papa say... Reeves is coming in after arguably his worst game as a pro against Shaq and the Lakers on Sunday night. He scored only two points in the game and shot a very poor one for nine. And yes, he is coming off one of the worst games of his career against the LA Lakers, matched up against Shaq O'Neal. Two points, eight rebounds on one of nine shootings. So a really rough one that country's trying to recover from in this game. And now the interesting thing is, if you're reading along with the box score, as you hear me kind of malign Bryant Reeves here, is that you might look at the box score and say, well, he played 39 minutes, had 21 points, eight rebounds on eight of 15 and five of seven shooting with five turnovers, which is a bit high, but kind of no big deal for country. But I'm here to tell you that those are quite i wouldn't call them empty stats but they are definitely the stats of a player who is getting way more touches than he deserves for his talent level and for his contribution and i think the advanced stats tell a much more accurate story i won't bore you too much with them but the one that really stood out was that he was minus 10.7 on box plus minus per 100 possessions so minus 10.7 per 100 possessions, which is a horrendous stat. Oh, just a little bit. And I mean, there's two things that really came to mind watching this game with country that become a prevailing theme for his career. The first is I had in the back of my mind before we began this project that he sucked in the first half of the first season, but then was a pretty consistent player for the next two and a half seasons. In fact, what ends up happening is he is always bad at the beginning of each season for the most part. Conditioning is always a problem for him, and he plays himself into shape. And they go over the stats for the first uh you know, quarter of this season, and there are very few signature country games. And in this season as well, he starts to heat up during the second half. But again, at this point, he's still not there conditioning-wise. And then the other thing that the announcers harp on, but I think it's fair, is that we don't really see a diversity of big country moves. Does he have that uh, standard hook shot? Yeah, absolutely. But as they say, he's not really good from an entire half of the court. He isn't really good at moving around the post to try and do other things when he gets the ball sometimes. He is sort of limited in what he is able to give on the basket. And they're harsh on him. And there are good country games. Let's not go too harsh here. But this really brought to Mark, oh, 
I you can't really build an offense around this guy. And if you have the choice between him and Reef, the choice is obvious. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point there because if I'm an opposing coach or an opposing center and I'm watching game film of Big Country, you pretty much know that he has two moves. And A, he pretty much only likes to get the ball on the left block because then he can turn to the middle and do that little shot put flip shot. And that's where he has the footwork to do the step away baseline fading jumper. And, you know, he hits the odd face up jumper from that area as well. But there's not much more to speak of there. Like he has no face up game. He pretty much can. I mean, he can hardly put the ball on the floor. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no variety to this game. And so, yeah, if you're a defensive player, you're going like, well, I pretty much have to I pretty much have to shut down two moves and I should be fine. So you start to see that. And I think that you and I have been impressed with the fact that he was able to kind of finesse those moves and and start to make them really solid. But at a certain point, there has to be a bit more evolution. Especially if you don't have guards that can really get the ball when he kicks it back out and rotate and find something else. And that goes back to the staticness of the Grizzlies offense so often here. But uh, as you said, box score for this game turns out not too bad for him. And some of those good stats start coming in the second quarter as the Grizzlies start turning the tables against the Warriors. There's immediately a great reef spin move where he gets fouled, like you said, getting two. Then he makes a putback. Then he blocks a shot. Then Anthony gets a three. It's a 10-1 run for the Grizzlies. They're suddenly tied at 37. And we're getting a good look with the team right here where we have uh, both Greg Anthony and Roy Rogers on defense. And they're both probably the Grizzlies' two strongest defenders, at least in this game. And the Warriors don't really seem like like they suddenly have any idea of what to do on offense. Yeah, it's funny because the the announcers keep saying, man, they're missing Chris Mullen. Like they couldn't stop <laughs> saying how much the team was missing Chris Mullen. And I'm going, man, if you're missing a 33-year-old in his 12th year who even in the interviews and stuff is admitting that he's like kind of not the player he used to be, like that's obviously a problem for uh, for your franchise. But also in the second quarter, we get our Roy Rogers enters the game. Roy Rogers, a.k.a. is he actually Antonio Harvey? Explosive in the second quarter. He hits a jumper. He blocks Danielle Marshall. It should have been a goal 10, but it wasn't. Danielle had to poke his way. Block, goal 10 to no. He shot the ball downwards. He was above the rim when he let the ball go. A three by Anthony. Big swing for Vancouver. He hits a jump hook and another jumper. And that really is the catalyst of that 10-1 run for Vancouver. And he's really an intimidating force in the key. Even when he's not blocking shots, you could see the opposing players are hesitant to take it to the rack when Roy Rogers is there. And um, all of a sudden, the announcers are comparing him to an NBA legend. They compare him to three-time All-Star, three-time Defensive Player of the Year, Larry Nance, the winner of the inaugural (laughs) dunk contest. Maybe a bit of hyperbole there. Uh, Most certainly, if you look back at their careers, that was a bit much. But uh, it was interesting to see. And then, of course, we also got our classic Roy Rogers cowboy joke alert. Rogers off the bench has lit Adelman up for eight points. You might say this Roy Rogers has a quick trigger. 
<laughs> yeah, there's good and bad for listening to road announcers all the time for this, and one is that we hear the constant Roy Rogers jokes, but you can see he's a presence uh, on defense and uh, on offense. Uh, the Grizzlies are neck and neck after that initial run. They're staying even with the Warriors, and it's really for the Warriors the reason that they're staying even in this second quarter, at least, is Latrell's free will. He is really driving the bus at this point. And that was one of the reasons I was really excited to see this game because I was hearkening back to my 90s NBA fandom. And I remember really liking Latrell Sprewell, but I was trying to ask myself, well, how did you know Latrell Sprewell? Why did you like Latrell Sprewell? And I remembered it's because of that Converse commercial where they say he owns so much of the court, <laughs> he's the landlord. Meet Mr. Sprewell. The man owns both ends. The man owns so much court, we call him the landlord. Nice kick, Spree. Cons, baby. Baseline Seattle. Owns Three point land in Phoenix. Owns it. God. Set and tone. Owns it. Tell him about Orlando. Owns it. Owns it. Owns it. Owns it. The landlord is coming to your house. Time to pay the rent. And I just remember absolutely loving that commercial, even though I had no clue who Latrell Spearwell really was, because let's just say you're not getting uh, Golden State Warriors games on uh, NBA Sundays on NBC. They're not making the national TV schedule at all at this point. But we did see some select moments of brilliance, flashes of brilliance from Spreewell, little step back three action, and he does get a steal and throw down a really nice dunk right at the end of the second half. Steal by Spreewell, Anthony races back, Spreewell! Just a great iso play, great uh, speed. His defense is a question, and there's turnovers that we'll see more in the third and fourth quarter. But he's keeping the Warriors in it at this point. Half ends with Roy Rogers. You get the good and bad with his exuberance on defense. He gets a massive goaltending. But the Grizzlies are still up 51-49 to after two, which leads us to... What did Stu do now? And Jeremy, today we're going to talk not about what Stu did, and Stu did so much, but in this case, it's a decision that he didn't make during this middle half of the season, which is perplexing to us. And it's about our favorite player from season one, sort of a secondary role in season two for the Grizzlies, Greg Anthony. Yeah, and I mean, I was interested to see, and I want to hear what you have to say about this as well, but when he first came in in this game, I think it's the first time we've seen him in this second season, in, in at least in our schedule, and he looks really stiff at first. He actually absolutely bricks two threes on the same possession. The first shot was so bad that it was front rim, and he got his own rebound and then uh, misses another shot. Anyway, he looks really bad. He actually comes around this game, and I start uh, you know, falling back in love with Greg Anthony, and you start to wonder why it was because we heard the scuttlebutt, we, you start to see it and feel it and read it in the, the newspapers of the time. Why was Greg Anthony falling out of favor with this team so suddenly? And it was a combination, if you read this stuff, uh, he got injured a couple times early in the season. It seemed that he was sort of feuding with uh, some of the younger players a little bit, or basically saying they weren't listening to him and Blue Edwards' leadership. Uh, and then uh, it's just because the team sort of repurposed its offense around Peeler and Reef, he was no longer at the focal point. Having said that, 
I don't know why he suddenly becomes the bench player under Lee Mayberry, because 99 times out of 100, Greg Anthony is going to give you a better shot of winning games than Lee Mayberry. And number two, the announcers in this game talk about the trade speculation for Anthony. He's a free agent at the end of this season. He's a good player. Clearly, he doesn't really want to be there anymore. We see it show up in newspaper article after newspaper article. And again, in 2021, with asset management being what it is, when you have a departing free agent that doesn't want to be there and can give you something in return, he gets traded. With the Vancouver Grizzlies, with Stu Jackson as general manager doesn't get traded. And the more even frustrating thing is you look at some of the players that he was being bandied about with as possibly being traded. Eric Dampier and Jalen Rose for the Indiana Pacers. But even greater, an offer was made for him and the Grizzlies' first round pick the next year, which could only be as good as number two, so they weren't getting Tim Duncan. But Anthony and a first overall for Jason Kidd. And apparently the Mavericks were interested enough in that to get it into the Associated Press at the end of the day where they went with the Suns instead. But even if they don't get Jason Kidd, you think of all the different sort of decent returns they could have gotten for Anthony. And instead, they not only let him walk, but he plays backup minutes for most of this second season. It's questionable, and it's just another case in wondering why the Grizz couldn't do more with the assets they had. I don't know. Obviously, we don't know Stu Jackson's thinking intimately, but I do think he kind of falls in that category of old basketball man. Recently, when I was on, uh, when the podcast launched, and I got invited to come on sports radio in Vancouver on uh, the now defunct Team 1040, I remember they said to me that when they interviewed Stu Jackson and they asked him what he would do again, he said, I would have made Steve Francis play for us which I know is not our season right now. But when they said that to me, because I I had missed that interview, I just shook my head and went like, really? That's what you would do over again? And but and like, whatever, we don't need to jump in the whole pantheon of stew fuck ups. But (laughs) this is the segment for that. (laughs) Yes. But doesn't that say a lot? You know, like the fact that he looks back and goes like, I let Francis off the hook. Like, no, man. He never wanted to come, so why did you do it? And we'll get to that later. But same thing, Greg Anthony. Okay, maybe he doesn't want to be here. Maybe he is pushing people too hard in the locker room. It seems like there's a couple of pathways to take there. Get him in a room, try and get him on the same page, get him to buy in, get him to you know, appreciate his role as a veteran leader on a, on a expansion team, or just swallow your pride and trade him for Jason Kidd. Like the Mavericks were clearly begging to make good deals with Stu over these last two years. (laughs) Why not take them up on that offer? Jalen Rose and Eric Dampier, like those are great. I mean, obviously hindsight's 2020, but imagine they could have got Dampier and Jalen Rose. Like that would have been a huge gain. Any player, like you said, now it's part of common conversation in NBA fandom and NBA punditry is to say, well, we know this guy's leaving. We got to get something for him. You can't let someone walk for free, right? And that's why free agents are so often traded at the last second is because it's like, well, we got to get something for him, even if it's a second rounder. You would think, but this is Duke Jackson, and this is the Vancouver Grizzlies, and it means pain again 
and again, and again. It's time for the third quarter, and uh, the good luck that the Grizzlies had in the second quarter, courtesy of a Warriors offense doing nothing and a Grizzlies offense doing just enough, continues here. We get a nice Anthony Peeler shot at one point, but the real star of this third quarter is the star of the first quarter. It's Sharif Abdurrahim, and he is just doing all those little things in the post to either generate shots or at the very least fouls. The Warriors are really doing nothing to stop him. They're getting nothing on offense. And halfway through the third, suddenly the Grizz are up by 10. And with the Warriors, you know, we harped on the fact that they were like talking about Chris Mullen being out as so much of a key for them. But then you look at their off options when they aren't having Spreewell or Smith in there. It's Bimbo Coles, it's Daniel Marshall, it's Mark Price. None of them can hit a shot whatsoever. It actually gets a little bit depressing at one point because <laughs> Mark Price is on this quest for 10,000 points in his career. A real milestone. He needs 12 points to get there. He gets to like 9 or 10 in the first quarter, and then he just gets brick after brick, and you can just see the enthusiasm for this moment deflate out of both the announcers and the team. He actually, he needed 13 and he got to 11 with like almost the whole second half to go. And so the, the announcers being professionals are foreshadowing this the entire game. And I think they assume it's going to happen and it just doesn't. And Price is really actually quite brutal in the second half. And you could tell he's maybe forcing it a little too much to try and get that last bucket. But uh, at the end, they're like, well, actually, he shouldn't get it now because it would just be ugly at this point or whatever. But uh <laughs> When it comes to yeah, you mentioned some of those kind of real plugs on uh, on the Warriors that was coming out in this third quarter, and like Bimbo Coles was absolutely abhorrent in this game. But also, like I I kind of spoke nicely about Spreewell because of my fandom from the '90s. But he ends up having a real stinker of a game, eight turnovers, and in this third quarter, like he has no respect for the ball. It really doesn't seem like he cares to keep possession or keep the ball himself. He's turning the ball over at an amazing rate. And I would add to on the Grizzlies side of things, this is where big country starts to turn it around a bit. I was quite critical of him during the first quarter segment, but one thing I noticed, and I don't know if you saw this, but I really liked it was upon entry to country. And it was usually happening when Greg Anthony was at point and was the entry passer if country didn't have position that he liked or didn't feel comfortable, he'd get the pass and immediately put it back out to Anthony. And Anthony was insistent to get it right back into him. And maybe country improved his position by like 5% or 10% in between the time of that pass going back and forth. And it was really slick and kind of showed a confidence in Reeves, but also it was kind of like an offensive maturity to be like, okay, that didn't work right away, but no, we're going to go back to it right away. We believe in entering it to the post to the big guy. And certainly more exciting than seeing Lee Mayberry dribble it for 15 seconds and doing nothing. Uh, it's the end of the third quarter after Reef makes another screen and roll. 28 points at the end of three quarters. He's already tied for his Woo! career high. Uh, Grizzlies up 78-70 after three, which leads us to our final segment. Better know a grizzly. <laughs> And today, the grizzly that we're going to better know is one that just a couple days before this seemed a little bit bitter, both about the team that he was with now and the team that he just left, but one who has a pretty strong space, and at least my heart, for how well he played for his two seasons here, George Lynch. Yes, so 
The six foot eight small forward played four years at the University of Carolina, a 1993 NCAA champion with the Tar Heels. In that championship game, 12 points and 10 rebounds. He was the leading rebounder in that win. So when I hear that, I think like this guy's a winner at heart and you kind of start to understand why perhaps he doesn't really like being with a losing bunch, the Vancouver Grizzlies. He was the first round pick 12th overall by the Los Angeles Lakers in 1993. He was acquired by the Grizzlies in that Lakers salary dump where they were making room for Shaq O'Neal. He ends up playing 123 games with the Grizzlies. In this season, he was eight points, six rebounds, two assists, one and a half steals on 47% shooting. And he really is a solid, solid defensive player. Twice in the top 20 in steals per game in the NBA. And in 99-2000, when he's playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, he's actually 14th in the league in defensive win shares, which is a really, really impressive stat. His best seasons were with the Philadelphia 76ers. And uh, he was actually a role player and a key contributor to that Allen Iverson Sixers team that made the finals against Shaq and Kobe in 2000-2001. And you mentioned it. Let's talk about that newspaper clip. George Lynch speaking to... Who's he speaking to? Oh, I have to... Ask. Gallagher. He was yeah, speaking to Gallagher. <laughs> Tony Gallagher. Yeah. The legend. So, and he, yeah, and he basically, he d- dumps all over the Lakers, who at this point are like 600 on the year. Shaq is with the team now. They're clearly going places. And he just says that they don't have like the glue players that to, to do the hard work and they're going to collapse at any point. And of course, he's clearly just thinking of himself as one of those glue guys that if he was there, the team would be going. And it's so self-serving. And you wonder why you would say that. Uh, but yet, it's like you can emphasize with a person who is a champion, who thinks he was with the Lakers, who thinks that he's going to be part of something. And now suddenly he's in the basketball Siberia. Yeah, and the quote is I don't think they're a better team than we were last year. I guarantee you, the Messier guarantee, I guarantee you after the All-Star break, they'll fall apart. Well, dear listener, after the All-Star break, the Lakers were 21 and 13, and they were 32 and 17 after this Lynch quote. Uh, They go on to win the first round of the playoffs against Portland, 3-1. They do lose to those very strong finals-bound Utah Jazz team, 4-1 in the Western Conference semifinals. So George Lynch, I mean, not a good look there at all with those quotes, but clearly a jilted um, ex-lover type of thing there. On his career, 774 games played in the NBA, seven points, five boards, an assist, and a steal, and actually has almost 900 steals in the NBA, which I looked it up thinking maybe he's on the all-time list, not quite, but you know, 900 steals is uh, nothing to sneeze at, that's no, for sure. Nothing, and his time with the Grizzlies was nothing to sneeze at, right? He fits sort of like the Grant Long, Tony Massenburg role, where the team always seemed to have like a pretty decent sort of backup power forward type. I was sad when he left. You look at the clippings, yeah, he didn't want to be here, became a free agent. What are you going to do? But uh, you look back at these games, and yeah, he was able to chip in on offense when needed, play good defense. Really, the Vancouver Grizzlies story would be a little bit different if A, there were a few more George Lynch's on this team, and B, that they stuck around a little 
longer. It is time for the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies are really blitzing the Warriors at the beginning of this fourth. We get a nice rotation round for a peeler three. He gets another long two, then a ridiculous ball way long two. The Grizzlies are suddenly up by 14, then 18 points. This is looking like a blowout out of nowhere. The Warriors simply not able to do anything. Anthony Peeler had seven points in 70 seconds. <laughs> and you just feel like like that's the na- final nail in the coffin. It's early in the fourth, but the Golden State fans are booing. There's no energy or spirit whatsoever except Joe Smith. And let's talk about Joe Smith for a second. We talked about Joe Smith in our big country draft episode. Mm-hmm. He was the number one pick that year. And you start to see why he was considered to be a number one pick. He goes on to have 38 points and has the competitive spirit in the fourth quarter. He's the only one who actually gives a shit. And you can see it. He's pissed off. At one point, he actually has a little bit of a hate on for Roy Rogers. And he goes for an absolute thunder dunk where they're going to meet at the peak and see who can actually kind of come out on top. Is it Joe Smith who's going to hammer down on uh, Roy Rogers or is Roy Rogers going to get the best of him? Joe Smith missed the dunk. Bob by Roy Rogers. Well, that was fun. I'll say this, he met him at the top. He's angry and he's like in and around the hoop. He's making shots. He's trying to pump his team up. Is it working? Not particularly, but that was kind of, I I think I have to admit, I had a hole in my NBA fandom knowledge around Joe Smith, and I kind of had him as a bit more of a bust in my head, even though I know he was kind of a serviceable player for a long time. But you can kind of see he had something going here. Like in that 6, 8, 10 foot range, he's looking real nice in this game. He's also getting to the line a lot, getting fouls from the Grizzlies. He makes a five-foot hook shot to make it 99-92 with uh, three minutes left in the game. It's looking like maybe the Warriors could get this into the game. They're certainly getting a little bit spry. The fans are getting into it. And then Reef puts the exclamation mark on this for the Grizz. Yeah, I mean, he comes in and he gets uh, a layup and an and one. He misses the free throw. They go up 101-92. And this is the point, probably my head scratcher of the game, where it's an ultra crucial possession. So Reef makes his layup, misses the uh, and one. Todd Fuller, you may remember him from one of the draft episodes. Todd Fuller is in the game inexplicably just out of nowhere. And he gets to the line, makes one of two. Spreewell gets to the line, makes two. And all of a sudden, that 14, 16, 18-point lead is down to six. And you're like, uh-oh, this uh, this could be a problem. We're Vancouver Grizzlies fans. We expect the worst. Yeah, even though I checked the box score before we started watching, you still have that <laughs> pang of fear. <laughs> but anyway... Basically, if the Warriors score here, they're within four or three, and this game's anyone's ball game, and they go to Todd Fuller in the post, who puts up an absolutely brutal wide-armed hook shot that just is a thing of absolute ugliness. Price into Fuller. He's got a score here. Rebound steps out to Vancouver. Joe Smith, a foul on Joe as he appeared to pick Anthony. And I just started cackling because I'm like, what is Todd Fuller doing with the touch here when Joe Smith is going off for a 40-point game, possibly? 
And then Joe Smith goes for a steal. He actually gets a clean steal off Peeler, I believe it was. And the refs call a foul. And then basically the Grizzlies clean up their business and Reef throws down a big old dunk to make it 106.95. Joe Raheem with 34 points in a most successful Bay Area return tonight. It's one thing to score 34 and lose the game, but he's going to score 34. Uh, you look at the box score for Reef at the end of the game, and there's a nice symmetry to how this all comes along at, at the end because announcers begin the game talking about how this is his big chance back uh, in his university stomping grounds. This is his first 30-point game in the NBA. Finishes with 34 points on 11 of 19 shooting. Almost as impressive late. 12 of 13 from the line. Uh, plays a perfectly good defense. This is the reef that we come to know and mostly love for his uh, next five years with Vancouver. Focal point of the offense. Fairly efficient. And just really showing a bevy of low post moves to either score or get to the line. And... It looks fairly easy for him. It does. He honestly looks like a seasoned vet in this game. Like the way he plays is so under control, so confident. He's looking to the hoop when he needs to. He's getting to the line. Play, like you said, playing solid defense. Even the announcers who had said he's not a great defender at the end of the game started saying, well, you know, actually he looks pretty good on D. So, I mean, this is a game where at the time, if you're a Grizz fan or you're Stu or you're Brian Winters, like, you're starting to think, I've got Charles Barkley on my team. I have the next Carl Malone. I have, you know, I have a legitimate possible superstar here. And they're calling him the future. They're calling him the franchise for the Vancouver Grizzlies. And, you know, I could imagine at the time being very excited and uh, to know that it doesn't work out quite as well is, is disappointing. But, man, to see that and to, to imagine what that hope that feeling of hope must have been for fans is quite something. Final score, Vancouver Grizzlies 109, Golden State Warriors 95. It is the second largest Grizzlies win in franchise history, which tells you something when it's only 14 points. But you're right, there's that optimism. This is the month where Reef really takes off. He averages more than 20 points a game. He starts getting featured in national media. You start thinking as a team that you can build your franchise around this guy. Maybe even as a coach, Brian Winters, you start thinking that you can build your coach coaching career around that guy that's another story maybe as soon as next episode and with that this has been with the second pick steve francis i'm jeremy allingham for justin mcelroy join us on our next episode when the grizzlies take on the new jersey nets and we get a little bit of an ap bomb